Sorry, sorry, rookie mistake, sorry. <laughs> it's great to be with each and every one of you. Thank you all so much for being here. Uh, Pastor Jay's out of town at the moment, and listen, I have an awesome privilege of uh, sharing with you a message that, honestly, the Lord has been uh, dealing with me personally on for probably some time, and uh, I just wanted to share that with you. It's actually a very familiar and very popular uh, story out of the Bible, and uh, we're just going to kind of go into this a little bit and uh, and just kind of make some uh, hopeful applications for our own life as we kind of go through this this story. But before I begin, I actually would love to just uh, just honor just two people in here, um, and Brennan and Brianna Howes. They actually are on our staff, and they do a great job. And and you know one of the things that I love about them, and in my in my work history of my own life, where I, wherever I've worked at different places, you know it's a it's a rare thing to find an individual uh, or individuals who will stay late when everybody leaves. And then when the, they just will stay and grind it and have a good attitude getting the job done. And that is this couple. And they're on our staff and we love them so much. Can we just give a great hand clap to these guys? Yeah. And uh, yeah. I've come in many times on, actually on Friday, on Good, fr on, on, not Good Friday, what was this Friday? Black Friday, I, I have church cameras on my phone, I just looked at the camera, and I see Brianna on, everybody's shopping, and she's here working, I don't know what she was doing, Brianna, but thank you for doing whatever you were doing, and then Brennan, I mean, I come in here, he's messing with lights and doing all kind of stuff, listen, we love him so much, but honestly, if you try to take them from us, we will find you, so, uh, <laughs> uh, Anyway, so we're going to get off into Ezekiel uh, 37, and I actually would like to just talk to you today about a little bit about dryness, you know, and I don't know what's going on in your life and what, the different things that have happened, and you know, one thing that, that happens, I think, inside of every individual who lives is that, you know, when you're young, you're very zealous about things, and you just, life is just new, and it's fresh, and you're just excited about the, 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 the raw potential that is in front of you. And you don't even know, um, you don't even know some of the things that you're dreaming are, are nearly impossible. You just go for them. And that is an exciting feature to have. And I wish to God that each and every one of us could have that youthful zeal. But it's like, then we have wisdom and we know that it can't be done. So we don't even attempt it. Some people are just so foolish to do things and they accomplish them. You know, some people just do some awesome things. But it's like that adrenaline or that drive, that passion that's inside of us, it sometimes, it sometimes dies, you know. And so today out of Ezekiel, we're, we're talking about a little bit about this famous passage of dryness, of dry bones, of, of death. And it's like, what in you has died lately? You know, what inside of us, and maybe you had, when you were younger, you, you had dreams about being in the ministry. Maybe some of you had dreams about preaching or sharing the word of God or just being able to do something for God. And maybe some of those things have just began to be quieted down by the experiences and the pressures of the normalities of life. Maybe, you know, you had hopes and dreams and, you know, you wanted to give your children a better future for you, but life just didn't turn out the way you would have expected. And, you know, you had that, 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 that view of what your life would have looked like and, you know, not, we can't all make it to the NFL, you know. So it's like what dreams inside of you, what things 
died, and maybe some things legitimately needed to die. You know, so if you're still wanting to, you know, if you can't sing a lick like me, you don't really have a hope of starting a band and becoming, you know, the next American Idol, you know. So some things need to die. If you, you know, some musicians need to give it up or join our worship team, right? So, 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 some things need to die, but some things need to be resurrected. Can I get an amen? Can I get a better amen? All right, so, and I don't know what it is, but that's for you to judge. That's for you to weigh out in your own life. In this passage, we're going to be dealing with death. We're going to be dealing with the, the, with the decay of life. And that thing that was once vibrant, once that was, had life and everything, there was so much attached to it, and now it's gone. You know, at one point, we were passionate people about God. We, we loved the Lord, and we, uh, we pursued him with all of our might, with all of everything with, was, with, that was in us. We would just be driven to the Lord. We would spend hours in the weeks praying and seeking the Lord and worshiping God, and somehow we've forgotten even how to pray. We've forgotten how to worship, and the music comes on. It doesn't have the same ring in our souls as it once did. We have fallen into a kind of cliche Christianity. And what I mean by a cliche Christianity is a kind of Christianity that actually has no life in it. We may be living a Christian life in the sense of our external things and externally we go to church. We might even read our Bible and the, 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 we get a notification on our phone. We read the one passage a day and we pray before our meals, but there's still no life inside of us. The cliche kind of Christianity is a kind of Christianity that, like James says, it's, it's, it's like a cloud, Jude, it says it's a cloud without rain. Cliche Christianity, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, as it says, is that it is a kind of Christianity that has a form of godliness but denies the power thereof. And the power of Christianity is the power to make old things new, to make dead men live again. The power of Christianity is to literally bring life from nothing, from life from death. That's the power of true Christianity, and I fear that what many of us have, not that I, well, I do fear it, but it's the tendency for probably all people is to wrestle with cliche Christianity. I'm here because, you know, I'm supposed to. When I was younger, my parents brought me to church, and then I had this season of rebellion, and then now I'm having kids, so I need to get them back into church. And I'm not saying that, you know, that's like the cycle of what it seems to be American Christians, but literally I'm talking about reviving the thing that was once lost. Would everybody give Brittany a please a hand clap? Thank you so much, Brittany. <laughs> She's about to have a baby. How many more weeks? Four. Four weeks. Wow. Oh, y'all pray for her. It's going to be two more weeks. But anyway. Uh, um, but, but a kind of Christianity that literally um, breeds life. It has power to change us. Real 
an authentic power from God. It's not something that we conjure up. It's not something that we necessarily got to, you know, we have to listen to the right worship song and then we build our faith and we go out into the world. No, 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 no. It's a power that we live and move and we possess our being in Jesus Christ and we live, as Leonard Ravenhill said, from another world into this world with the power of that world upon us now. There's like that is the vibrancy of the Christian life to which I subscribe to. But the fact is, is that sometimes we go up and down, right? Sometimes it's like the cliche Christianity says, oh, bless God, you know, uh, all things work together, brother. It's like, I know it's true, but that doesn't necessarily help us out in the valley. You know, those things don't necessarily always help when it's like, oh, you have your cliche responses. Well, Jesus loves you. Rather than having an authentic relationship with God, when you can speak to an individual something beyond Jesus loves me, this I know, because my old grandmother told me so, right? It's, it's something that, it's something that is in us that flows out of us as it says in Psalms there is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God it is a river that comes and flows out that is New Testament Christianity again our chronic issue is the issue of falling back into the valley and we're going to talk about the valley. We're going to speak, we're going to look into the valley today, a valley of dead, dry bones, and we're just going to talk about that just a little bit. Is that okay? Yeah. All right, Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. I'm going to go ahead and read, uh, starting in verse 1, and we're going to go all the way to verse, verse 14. Ezekiel 37. Let's pray first. Let's pray first. Father, I just ask right now, Lord, that you would give us all ears to hear, Lord, what the Spirit is saying and eyes to see. I pray, Lord, that you would penetrate our hearts with the Word of God and that you would revive in us, Lord, new life. That when we leave here today, there would be um, a, a new kind of, uh, of authentic um, pursuit of God that would make us a Jesus people that would cling to you more than anything else in this wor world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Then the hand of the Lord was upon me. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. And it was full of bones, verse 2. And he led me. And he led me around among them. And behold, there, was very, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on, on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. They were very, everybody say, very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and, and I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and I will cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Say, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone, and, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and there was flesh that had covered them, and skin had covered them, 
but there was no breath in them. But there was no breath in them. There were bodies, but there were no breath. There was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy to the breath, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded. As I, and I, as I, I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost, and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves, and I will raise you from your graves. I don't know if any of you are laying in graves, but the Lord can bring you out. I will open your graves and raise you out from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. And I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Interesting things that that is happening. We see Ezekiel, we have the Lord present, we have a valley, and we have bones. One of the interesting things about the book of Ezekiel, and I'll just kind of give you a little bit of background before we kind of get into it too much. Ezekiel was a prophet. He started prophesying about the age of 30. I'm 35, and so a little younger than I am. At 30 years old, he began, and, uh, he began his ministry, uh, a prophetic ministry of doom and destruction and damnation upon a people. He was a kind of preacher that you wouldn't have liked to listen to because he was saying, the Lord is going to come, and he's going to destroy all your homes. He's going to burn your cities down. He's going to kill your sons and daughters. He's going to take what's left and he's going to send them to Babylon. How many of you want to say, amen, I'll give my offering to that guy, right? So it's like Ezekiel was a man who heard from the Lord and he spoke. The people rejected him, but he had his acceptance from the Lord, which is much better. Come on, somebody say amen. So Ezekiel had kind of two parts to his ministry. The first part is that he prophesied a destruction that was to come. He prophesied about their bones. He says, you are going to be conquered. You are in rebellion. Okay. And then the second part of his ministry was kind of a, it was was something that was what we would say is eschatological. It was future oriented. It had to do with the end of the nation being restored. Okay. He, he, the first part was destruction. The second part was restoration. He's like, the Lord is going to come and judge you, but guess what? After, he's going to pick you up. He's going to bring you out. He's going to take you out of your graves. And so Ezekiel 37 is actually a great picture. It's a picture of the Bible as a whole. It's, a, it's the story of the Bible wrapped up into 14 verses. And so what, what we see in the book of Genesis is that God created a people. He created Adam and Eve, and he said, go into the midst of the garden and just go. And, 
and, and just rule this garden and, and, and multiply and we'll have a great communion and we'll dwell together. I don't know how long that lasted. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve, they rebelled, sin entered the world. And what did God do? He brought destruction. He brought a curse upon the, the he cursed the man, he cursed the woman, and he cursed the land. The curse wasn't initiated from Satan. The curse was initiated from God. And then what happened after that? In Genesis 3, 3 16, the proto-evangelicon, is, it is the proclamation of the gospel. All it was was God says, listen, here is destruction, here is the curse, but guess what? In the seed of the woman, I'm going to bring restoration, okay? He said, look, I am going to bring restoration from, uh, from amongst you. I'm going to bring healing from within you. It's going to be something special. You're not going to know. I'm going to, I'm going to reveal it. And even as the Bible is played out through Exodus, Leviticus, throughout all of the rest of the books of the Bible, we see this unfolding of this man who is to come, the man Jesus. And so, again, the whole Bible, is the whole 14 verses is the story, is the chronic problem of the Bible. And, and what's even worse is it's our chronic problem. It's the problem of God has done so many wonderful and sweet and gentle things in our own life, and yet we have rebelled, and yet we have rebelled. And, and, and God is constantly trying to grab at our attention and keep us into a cl close communion with him. And how do these things happen? We speak of this cliche Christianity. We speak of a kind of Christianity that is lost, which is, you know, it's almost like it, it, it's what is worse than this cliche Christianity having the form of God but then denying the power. There's nothing worse than this. How do these things happen? How do these things happen? And I think it's illustrated in the book of uh, Second, Second Samuel chapter 11. And the illustration simply is in the account of David and Bathsheba and Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And what happened, I think in verse 2, it says, one day David, who was the king of Israel, it said in verse 1, it says, in the time when the kings went out to battle, right, kings would go to war and the Lord called his king, the, the leader of the nation, was supposed to be with the people, Right, like you're not just going to sit and have a nice time. You're going to go and represent me amongst the people. So David, instead of going out to battle, he isolates himself, and and then he goes on top of a of a of his roof, and then he sees a woman bathing. So he's distracted. So how do these things happen? How does sin enter our life? Well, the first thing is that we're distracted by something. And David, it says that David was looking upon her, and she was beautiful. I'm like, okay, well, David, stop looking at the naked, beautiful woman, and you know you have another wife that you need to be looking at, right? So, but he's looking at something else. And then what is the next thing David David does is is this is where David sins. I mean, is it a sin to go on top of your roof and oh, all of a sudden I saw why is she bathing on top of a roof anyway? I don't know. But listen, so David sees it, but here is where sin began to start working itself out out of his own heart and and fleshing itself out. As it says in verse 3, it says that he inquired about her. He saw her, and then he inquired. He's like, okay, uh, she's kind of hot. Let me get her phone number. And he, he, he inquires about her, and he has her come to his castle, right? So then he's already in sinning because he's inquiring about her when he should have known God's law to stay away from it, and he should have he known, but yet he inquires. And then what does he do? So he, first he, he, he was distracted, 
Then he began to be disobedient. And then the last one was that he distanced himself. David distanced himself from the the law of God, the people of God. And then what made it worse was that instead of running to the Lord in the midst of his sin, so what happened was David got her pregnant, right? And then he was like, okay, Uriah, I need you to come home and sleep with her so everybody thinks that that's your baby. Like how messed up is that, right? I'm I'm not the baby daddy. You know, like, yes, you are. And so what does David do? He has Uriah, he has Uriah killed. Okay, so he is distracted, he is disobedient, and then he's disconnected. He just forgets. He all of a sudden he's in this horrible situation and he just forgets. He's like, he cuts off the law of God and he's like, I'm gonna take matters into my own hands and I'm gonna deal with this the best way I know how. Well, we know that that didn't work out too great for him. But the people of God are the same way. The nation of Israel is the same way. They the, the things that that we see in the Bible is the, it's like a, every time we read the Bible, it's like I see a picture in the little story over the big story. And it's like that story has so much about me written in it that you can't even, it's just so, so, it's just there blatantly in front of your face. And the, the fact is, is that we distract, we are distracted we're distracted, and then we begin to sin, and we're disobedient once we're, it's like my kids all the time. I'm like, hey, I need you to do this. And it's like, go clean your room. But then they found an M&M on the floor that they want to just look at. And like, oh, it really does melt in your hand. <laughs> you know, so, so, but literally, it's like they're distracted from the commandment, then they're disobedient, and then all of a sudden there's a separation once we're diso- disobeying. And this is what, this is why God, um, essentially judged the nation of Israel and sent them into Babylon. Distraction, disobedience, and distance ultimately brings death. And here we have the issue. The issue is the valley. The issue and the great problem for the people of God, for you and for for myself, is it's not that we're actually going into the valley, we'll see that in a second, but it's that we have learned to live there in a dry state so long. The problem is not that we have hard times. The problem is that in the middle of our hard times, we forget God and that we are content with staying there. It says that the bones were very dry, meaning that they were there for a long time. Maybe the stench of death had already blown, was blown away by the winds of time. Maybe there are things in your life that they're so dried up, the things that would have convicted you not long ago, now it's not even a conviction. Maybe, you know, now when you slip and say a, a bad word, now it's not even a, a big deal. Maybe now when you disrespect your wife, it's easy to disrespect your wife. Maybe it's now, it's easy not to honor your husband. Maybe now it's easy to just disregard your kids. And how scary of a place is it to get into a, to the valley when the stench of our sins is no longer uh, in front of us? The aroma of death is no longer in front of us. The winds of time have passed and were cut off. What can be more, what can be worse than a dry state in the middle of a valley? In verse 11, it actually explains what dryness is, just so I'm not speaking this kind of uh, metaphoric language the whole time. We'll look at verse 11. 
It says, then he said to me, this is God, son of man, he's telling him, this is what the bones are. The bones, God is showing him what the vision is. The bones are the whole house of Israel, okay? The nation of Israel was in the middle of God's judgment, okay? And we already read that he's going to raise them out of their graves. He's going to restore them. But right now, the bones are the whole nation of Israel. And listen to what these bones as a nation, they say. Our bones are dried up. So what is the dried up state? It says that our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. Our hope is lost. What is worse than lost hope? I mean, literally when there is no hope, when we are hopeless without God in this age, like what is worse than that? And maybe some of you in here have come to that place where you literally feel like there, God doesn't want me. I have done, you don't even know what I've done. I've done things that are so terrible. I can't even speak of them. And you just feel like there's no hope inside of you. It's like, man, I tried to be obedient to the Lord. I tried doing the thing at Journey Church and going to Journey Church. And I see everybody lifting their hands on a serve team. And I can't do it. It's like you might feel like there's, there's no more hope. And the next one is to, cut, to be cut off. No hope and to be cut off. And I think in some senses, because of our sin and our rebellion that leads us to hopelessness and leads us to be cut off. And I think this is what, what it's saying in Romans chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. It, it says, for although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. They became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became Fools, and they changed the glory of God into the image of a corruptible man. And this is what it says in the next verse, and this is scary. It says, so God gave them over to a debased mind. That is scary to think that we can go so, we can, we can reject and resist God so much that he'll say, you want that sin more than me? I'll give it to you. Can you imagine God actually saying, really, that lust is building up so much in your heart, you really want it? Okay. You can have it. That's what it says in the book of Deuteronomy as well. It says that they, 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 the, the people, they, they mourned and complained over meat. And, and what did God do? He said, you want meat? I'm going to give you so much meat, it's going to come out of your ears and your nose. You really want that sin so much? It's, he's going to give it to where that itself is going to be a judgment to you. The thing that you hate is going to be the thing that keeps you into the valley. It's no more hope. We're lost and we're cut off. But the passage begins with something very interesting. I love this. It says, the hand of the Lord brought Ezekiel as a, as a man of God into the, midi, m the midst of this valley. So two things are happening, or two peoples are represented. We see a righteous people represented, Ezekiel, and we see a rebellious people represented. That is the, the nation of Israel. Now, listen, I want you to know, you can be a right, you can be righteous and in a valley. The hand of the Lord may sometimes bring you to a valley. And listen, and we who are maybe, maybe we're not in a valley, we have no right to judge people who are in the valley and say, oh man, they don't know God. You know, they, they, they're right now walking with the Lord like they should be or else they wouldn't be there. I mean, you have no idea the plans and the, and the, the, the particular the particularities of what and how God does 
uh, to each of his children. You have no idea what he's doing. It's not our place to judge why somebody is in the valley. But the fact is that Israel is in the valley and now Ezekiel is in the valley. And his purposes for each of them are different. His purpose for Ezekiel, uh, his purpose for Israel as a people who are rebellious was to punish them. His purpose for Ezekiel, the righteous, to bring them into a valley is to bring Israel out of the valley. Maybe God will bring you into a valley to bring somebody else out. You're not meant to stay there. You're really meant to go and to be a light to what God is doing in a valley and saying, hey, dry bones, wake up. Maybe, maybe, maybe there is restoration that God is wanting to do through you, but he has to put you into a hard place. Come on, how many of y'all, y'all, you're praying for, you know, lost loved ones and, you know, broken marriages and you're just praying for individuals and you're like, Lord, these people need to be saved. Well, guess what? Maybe you're the answer to somebody else's prayer. You ever think of that? Maybe there's a mother, a grandmother who a hundred miles away praying for their son who lives in Central and maybe you're the answer to their prayer. Cut off. Lost hope. What is God doing? He brings a people into the valley for restoration. You know, sometimes in the worst situations of your life, the Lord may be doing the greatest work in your life. And now he proposes a question. God proposes a question to, to Ezekiel. We see the valley. We see it's terrible. The bones are all, it's just dry bones. There's not even flesh. Can they live? Son, he says, son of man, can these bones live? And notice Ezekiel's response with the humility that is attached. Put whatever you want on it. The, the, the fact that logically, if you show me bones and you say, Jeremy, can the bones live? I'm going to say, dude, no. The, the bones are not, no. They, no, they don't live. And then I'm going to slap you if you're even asking the question. But when God asks a question, when God asks this kind of question, all bets are off. There are no impossibilities, as he knows. But Ezekiel, knowing the logic behind it, but also knowing the logic with God, there is nothing impossible. There is nothing too hard with the Lord. He humbles himself and says, Lord, you know. He actually says, it says in the Hebrew, it says sovereign Lord, meaning sovereign means utterly free from any restrictions. Like, like that is to, to infinitely think of God as without it, uh, restrictions is to think of him rightly. Like there's no restrictions if you want the bones to live. Lord, I don't know. You know. Whatever you intend, yeah, it'll happen. And so he says, son of man, speak to the bones. Speak, can they live? Speak to the bones. Speak to the bones. He humbles himself and he, and he says, Lord, you know. Speak to the bones then. You know, Something extremely perplexing happens after this. He, Ezekiel prophesies to the bones. He's, he's there as the man of God. And, and all of a sudden, the bones start coming together. It says bone to bone, sinews. Sinews is like, is like uh, uh, what do you call it, ligaments and things coming together. It's, a, it's the thing that attaches the joints. They're coming together. And all of a sudden, the flesh, the meat, the muscles starts where does it come from? I don't know. The Bible says in Genesis that God created out of nothing so he can put bones together. The bones start forming together, and all of a sudden there's this magical uh, picture. There's an arm. There they are, the people. They're together. Everything has come together, flesh, and there they are. But there's still no life. 
How many of you guys know you come to Journey Church and your life could start looking a little better and there still be no life? How many of y'all know, like literally things in your life could be getting better? You could, you could uh, uh, get a better job. You could, you, you know, your bank account can just start climbing. You know, your savings account's going. You're doing things right. Dave Ramsey has helped you out. And, you know, I mean, all these different things. And, you know, you have health and prosperity. And all these things could be coming together. There's still no life. You still could be living that kind of cliche Christianity. You know, a, a few years ago, um, I was in Orlando, and we were playing a football game, and um, I was with Bernie Moore. He, uh, Bernie was here not long ago in October, and we love Bernie here. We're playing a football game. Bernie actually walked on to LSU as a quarterback in uh, 92, 93, and, uh, you know, so he's very athletic, and I mean, I'm a stud myself, and so <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, so we're going to play a football game with this guy who was a Navy SEAL, wanted to play. He was a little older, probably in his 50s, and he had their kid, and it was a bunch of, like, older guys, and, and we were going to, and their sons came out to play. And so we were really excited, and these guys, if you would have saw these young guys, 20, 21 years old, I mean, they were strong, they had muscles, and then they looked apart. The like, they looked like they belonged to a, like, protein. They had these cleats that looked like they'd never been worn. They had, you know, the Under Armour gear. They had, uh, you know, they had a playbook on their arms. They're all reading. They had, you know, the bandanas, everything, you know, and I'm like, man, I didn't even have cleats, and Bernie and I went out there. We're like, dude, we were about to get destroyed, and they were like, well, we want to play the old guys. And I'm like, how are you going to throw me in with the old guys? I ain't, I ain't that old, you know. Like, okay, dude, whatever. And so we start playing. And oh, one of them made a comment about my shorts, because I, I wasn't planning to play football, but one of them made a comment about my shorts. Like, I was like, dude, kind of hurt my feelings. <laughs> you know, like, it's the only pair of shorts I have, man. What's up? And so we start playing, and we're just dressed like scrubs, and these guys got their act together. And as soon as I saw him touch a football, I said, oh, we're going to kill y'all. <laughs> I mean, they were the worst football players I had ever seen in my entire life. I mean, I'm not kidding. Like, I think I intercepted the ball. Me, personally, that's not talking about everybody else's interceptions. Like, four times in a row. Like, every time they get it, they throw it, I intercept it. They were so terrible. You know, and we play, I mean, they were, they were ridiculous. I'm like, man, y'all need some help. You better call your girlfriends over here because they're going to play way better than y'all. But, but isn't that the, the, the story of, of, of us? It's like sometimes we play the part. We come to church. Oh, we, we, we have our Sunday dress on. We're looking good and fine and dandy. And, and yet we can't, we don't really, when, it, when the rubber hits the road, when it's time to really serve the Lord, maybe the demons look at us as, like in Acts, it says, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? It's like we could dress, we could, we, could, we could play the man, but we really don't have the kind of quality of soul as to where God can effectively do things through our life. And maybe today is a day when you yourselves will hear God and say, hey, Lord, here I am. Come and re reform me, revive me, change me. And I look at the book of Ezekiel, and, you know, and a lot of times we look at these stories, it's like, man, we're so in love with the, with the hero, Blake, that we're like, man, I want to be like Ezekiel. I want to be like, you know, David. I want to just do the great things. But the fact is, we're like the bones. You know, Jesus used one expression of himself more than any other expression. 
And you know what that was? I'm glad you want to know because it's the Son of Man. He referred to himself as Son of Man. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. The Son of Man, he referred to himself. And here God is talking to Ezekiel. There's this pic, the whole picture of humanity wrapped up in 14 verses. And God says, Son of Man, he's Son of Man throughout this this portion of scripture. Son of man, can it happen? Well, then speak to it. God has provided a way for us to come out of the valley, and it's through the son of man, Jesus Christ, who is to redeem a people. And whatever is going on in your life, and I don't know what it is. It could be dreams and visions. It could be the things that God has placed in your life. It needs to be resurrected through Jesus, not through your efforts. Some of you, you are literally like the bones, and there's no, the life of God is not in you. And you have to cling to Jesus and hear the word of God today. Would you bow your heads? Some of you, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're facing. Again, like I said in the beginning, I don't know what it is. But today, the one thing that I want to drive is that, do you know Jesus? Or are you a part of a valley of dry bones? And I just want to ask right now, as as I have said and stated, that Jesus is the only way to have life with God. Jesus is the only way to that the bones would come together. And if that's you and you need to confess your sins before the Lord and just say, listen, that's me. I am a part of that valley of dry bones. I'm not like Ezekiel. I'm not the one standing as a beacon of light and hope. I'm the one without hope and I'm lost without God in this world. I'm like a dead bones. And I know that's harsh to like look at ourselves and say that, but the fact of the matter is at one point we were were all dead in our trespasses and sins, alienated from God. And if that's you and you need to surrender your life to the Lord, would you just raise your hand right now? I see you in the back, bro. I see, man, I see y'all. I see all y'all in the back. Yes, ma'am, I see you back there. Hey, God sees y'all. That's more important. Amen. Would y'all just repeat this prayer after me? And, and, and I want you to know that the Bible says in Romans 10, it says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, that we will be saved. And so I'm just going to ask you to pray right now. And I'm actually going to ask in just a moment that our prayer team is going to come forward. And I want you to come and pray with them. I really would like you to do that. I want you to grab a Connect card if you would just fill it out and put it on the back. Today I gave my life to the Lord. Because we want to know and we want to help you through this walk of yours, this journey that you have in your life. And I would love to just be a part of that. And, and I'm just going to pray for you right now and ask the Lord to just do something great. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would just come Lord, in a great and powerful way, and that you would strike each heart, Lord, whose hands were lifted, whose hearts were raised, Lord, that, that you would do something deep in their life. I pray today would be a day of days that they would look back and they would cling, Lord, to their confidence and their hope that they have made a, 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 a decision to trust in the Lord today that you would continue that work, Lord, throughout their life. And, Lord, that you would continue to be faithful, as we know you are, to bring about, Lord, your perfect end for their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand? Would you all stand? I want to thank you all for being here. And listen, and prayer team, if you don't mind, would you please come forward? And I'm going to ask each and every one of you, whatever is going on in your life, it's not worth being the first one out here. Come and come meet with our prayer team. I'll be down here as well. And if you need prayer for anything, please come down. Other than that, we love you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Pastor Jay's going to have a great word for you all next week. So we love you, and we'll see you next week.